Hey everybody, it's Jack Lingenfelter, and welcome back to another episode of the Straws That Stir the Drinks podcast. And today I talked to Tess Seibel, who just retired as a national FFA officer. It was really cool to sit down with her today and reflect on her year of service. Our Instagram is at Straws That Stir the Drinks. Follow us there for updates on future episodes. Check it out. Tess Seibel, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, we're absolutely excited to have you here. What have you been up to? Um, well, the past month, I feel like I have been embracing my inner old person. And I am like mean that by saying I have been reading a lot of books. I have been doing a lot of baking um, and hanging out with my grandparents. Not a whole lot of anything, but um, it's just been nice to kind of take a step back and reflect on the year that we've had in 2020 um, and just relax a little bit and catch my breath after everything that has happened. So yeah, not a whole lot of anything, but just a lot of, you know, stuff that's refreshing me and filling me up. Um, speaking of baking, you did a series on the FFA Instagram, didn't you, about <laughs> baking? <laughs> I did. Oh my goodness. So yeah, pantry snacks was like, um, I, it was 10 episodes long and, uh, yeah. So each one of us had a, a different day of the week and that was my segment. And I tell you what, by the time I got done with that, I don't know if I want to host a cooking show or not. That, <laughs> is, that, that is hard work, but, um, it was really fun because I saw a lot of people that made the recipes and followed along. And then we had some FA members that could jump on at one point and, and bake with me. So yeah, it was fun to bring people into my kitchen um, and share that with them. Speaking of FFA, we're going to start right off. So how did you start your journey in FFA? A pretty crazy, amazing journey. How did you start off? Yeah, so I have been an FFA member um, in a blue jacket for a decade of my life, which is insane. Um, but my involvement in FFA began way before that. So my dad was an ag teacher. Um, and so some of my earliest memories actually were going to the shop um, and hanging out with his students or helping him water the plants in the greenhouse on the weekend. Um, and so I had been going to chapter banquets and state conventions ever since I was a little kid. And I remember going to state convention when I was in elementary school at some point and seeing FFA members. And I didn't really understand what FFA was, but I saw these people in these jackets that just looked so excited. Um, and they just looked like they were having the time of their life. And I remember thinking to myself in elementary school, when the time comes, I want to be a part of that because they look like they're having a really good time and they're just so happy. Um, and I found that to be absolutely the truth. So I walked into ag class on the first day of sixth grade um, and signed up for FFA. And, you know, the rest they say is history. So my my involvement was a decade long. And I learned a lot in that experience. Um, my first FFA jacket was so big that I had to actually roll the sleeves all the way up, all the way through middle school. Um, but, you know, speaking metaphorically, I definitely grew into that jacket and grew into myself through the past decade. Mm -hmm, yeah. So you're from Virginia. How is it yep. a little bit different? I'm from Georgia, obviously. So how is it a little bit different how FFA works in Virginia? Yeah. So in Virginia, we have a really strong middle school ag program, um, which is a blessing. Not every state has that. Um, so we can begin FFA in the sixth grade. Usually a uh, formal FFA membership doesn't start till seventh grade nationally, but I started in sixth grade. Um, and we had a lot of very specific middle school contests. So everything from crude speaking that's recognized on the national level, 
um, but also some specific events like uh, Quiz Bowl and Forestry and Soils, all that have junior divisions. And so I was able to start all of that in middle school. So by the time I got to high school and some of those CDEs that I really loved, um, I had my feet wet a little bit. And uh, I just feel really lucky to have been in FFA that long. And anyone out there that has a chance, um, I would just recommend getting started as soon as possible, even if that is in ninth grade. I think it just helps us out a lot. Uh, in Virginia, they obviously have a state officer program, and you were a state officer, correct? I was. Yeah, I was a state officer in 2017, 2018. How did your time as a state officer from Virginia, how did that kind of impact you and choose you to go further? So I, like I said, started FFA in the sixth grade. Um, but a little backstory on, on state office for me, um, FFA camp was one thing that I absolutely loved. And that was my favorite thing in FFA. And I went to FFA camp when I was a freshman in high school. And at that point in my life, um, was struggling with a lot of self-confidence and just didn't really know where I was going to go in FFA. I tried a lot of contests, but I didn't do very well in them. Um, and I tried a lot out, but I just, you know, wasn't, wasn't succeeding to, to where I wanted to. And so I didn't really know where FFA was going to take me and if I would continue. And I went to camp and we have a tradition where we write happy grams. They're just like little encouraging notes. Um, and I got a happy gram at camp that said, I believe in you. And that was from a state officer. And that was the first time in my life I'd ever heard the words, I believe in you from someone that wasn't related to me. And I remember getting that note and thinking to myself, if someone that I look up to so much believes in me, then maybe I should start believing in myself. And as strange as it sounds, in that moment, a switch flipped inside of me. And I started doing a lot in FFA um, and believing in myself. And when I did those things, I didn't win at all every single time. But I knew that my work wasn't based on the result of that contest. I knew that I was doing something so that I could grow as an individual. And that was more important. And so um, flash forward to the end of high school. So four years after I got that note, I was presented the decision to, to run for state office. And I decided to pursue that. And being a state officer helped me just solidify the idea that leadership is a small daily actions. You know, sometimes we think of leadership as, as people on stages giving speeches. And that's definitely a, a component of it. But at the end of the day, it's a small little actions and a small action absolutely changed my life. And that's something that I was just reminded of time and time again as a state officer is the things that we do on the daily really do make a difference and, and matter. Um, and so that's a really special lesson that I hold close to my heart that I learned um, as a ninth grader, but was solidified as a state officer. Why did you decide to run for national office? Because that's an even bigger step than, than choosing to decide to run from state office. You know, so to be quite quite honest with you, uh, Jack, being in FA since sixth grade, I kind of was a, I'm a little bit of a, a recovering box checker, a little bit recovering perfectionist. And so I, I checked all the boxes in FSA. You know, I was a, a chapter officer, area officer, state officer, um, camp officer, like all of them, and got to the end of state office. And the next step for me, logically, was national officer candidate. Um, ran and was selected as their state's national officer candidate. And I went to national convention. Um, this would have been in 2018, ran for national office and was not elected. And 
that in that moment was absolutely devastating to me. I was like, I just, I really, really struggled with that. And what I realized a couple of months later um, in January is that I did not know who I was outside of FFA. Um, and I didn't really think about why I wanted to be a national officer. It just was the next step for me. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I just did not take the time to fully reflect on on who I was and, and what I had to offer and why I was doing it more than just checking a box. And so um, I took some time actually dedicated away from FFA for a little bit. I was just a college student, got really involved in my school and some different activities there. And then um, last well, I guess it was two years ago. I feel like, goodness, I can't keep track of time. Um, in June of 2019, ran for our state's national officer candidate again um, with a completely different mindset. Um, and that mindset was that I was not perfect as a person, but I felt this deep calling to serve and to give back and to let FFA members know that the story that they have, no matter what it holds, you know, no matter how painful or hard or, you know, good, bad, and different, that story needs to be told. Um, and every single piece of that story needs to be embraced and, and lived out. And so when I really realized why I wanted to run for national office, that's when a lot changed for me and then was fortunate enough to run for national office in the fall of 2019 for a second time and ultimately receive this position on the team. But um, just my mindset was completely different that second year around because I, I was doing it for the right reasons. I was not doing it selfishly. I was doing it to give back. And um, that is something I'm so thankful to have not gotten elected that first year because I really do feel like I needed to learn that lesson. And as hard as 2020 was, um, our team was meant to be the way it was. So Tess, why do you think it's so important for us to reflect when we fail? Uh, just as important to, infl- to reflect when we win as well. One thing that I love is a quote. I don't know who said it, but um, it says, "Action without a action without reflection is a waste of time." Um, and I am a firm believer that every single experience that we have can teach us something, and every single person that we meet can also teach us something. Whether they're five years old or ninety-five, um, we can learn something from everyone and and every experience. And You know, I just think that if we don't take the time to really reflect about experiences, even if we succeed or not, we're never going to grow and reach that potential that we're meant to. Um, You know, one piece of advice I got when I got elected to state office was that just because you got elected doesn't mean you can't improve. Um, And so I really sat down with the feedback that I got, even though I got elected to state office and tried to seek to, to grow. And the same went for national office. There's always areas for growth. Um, and with that, I think it's important that we celebrate when we are successful, but remember that, you know, the chance to be successful came from a lot of hard work um, and a lot of support along the way. And we need to do our part to reflect and and be grateful for where we are um, and also be grateful for those experiences that don't go our way. So important. Yeah. So your year of service looked a little different than everybody else's. Um, because obviously you had a pandemic happen um, kind of <laughs> yep. in, in the middle of your year of service. How did that kind of change everything for you? I remember distinctly the day that we got the news about getting pulled off the road. I was in Philadelphia um, my very first week out 
of, they call it kicking us out of the nest, but you know, we're, we're with staff from when we get elected all the way through FFA week. And so I was on the very first week of national office solo of travel season. And uh, we got a call and ultimately um, because I was in Philly, I just ended up driving back home uh, so that I could be with my family. And man, like that period of March through July, I would say, but honestly of COVID, which is still occurring, has been one of the most challenging seasons of my life. And I think that, you know, as a national officer, um, a lot of times we're the ones that, you know, are, are doing the inspiring, you could say, are doing motivational speeches and, and things like that. But I have to tell you that this year, um, FFA members really inspired me a lot and were the reason that I kept going day after day because it wasn't easy. Um, and so, yeah, at March on, we, our lives as a whole were flipped upside down and we kind of had to reinvent the wheel of what a national officer was. Um, and no one knew what that was, but it was ultimately cooking <laughs> eggs in our kitchen over FaceTime for people. It was writing notes and letters. It was doing Zoom calls. Um, it was doing everything we could to stay connected. And uh, looking back on it, it was it's just incredibly humbling to have served a year that was, that was so challenging. And honestly, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the year for anything, even though it was completely different. Um, a year ago today, I don't think I could have imagined where we would have ended up, but I don't think that's a bad thing. What were some of those major takeaways from national office now that it's over? You know, the great thing about that is now you can reflect on, you know, a great year of service, but you also have some pretty major takeaways, obviously from that year. I feel like I'm still, I'm going to be unpacking this past year. And I think all of us will for years to come. Honestly, I don't, I think I've only begun to scratch the surface of the lessons, but um, I would say I have two main takeaways from this year. Um, And the first I I spoke about in my RA, if, if anyone listening caught that, but it's the fact that a lot of times life is really, really confusing. And a lot of times in life, we ask hundreds of questions that, to be honest, no one has the answers to, you know, like, why is this happening? Um, (laughs) Why does this have to happen now? Why me? Why do I deserve this? All those questions. And at the end of the day, the answer is, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know why life can be hard. I don't know why we have the challenges that we do, but I do know that we can do the best that we can wherever we are. Um, and I really learned this year to, to stop feeling powerless, but to find purpose in the things that I was doing on the daily, to focus on my daily purpose and ask myself, what can I do right here, right now? Maybe that's writing a letter to someone. Maybe that's just being a good sister to, you know, and listening. Um, maybe that's being a good teammate and FaceTiming someone, but what can I do right here right now? We'll worry about everything else another time. So that was one big takeaway. Um, and then the other big takeaway, I think for me was that the people in our lives really matter more than, um, than anything else. And there is absolutely no way I think any of us could have gotten through this past year and we'll continue to get through all of this, um, this life in general by ourselves. And this year I really had to learn, um, 
that I am someone that loves to support other people and listen and, and mentor, but sometimes I need to admit to others that I need help too. And there's power in doing that. And there were a couple of moments this past year that I had to call someone and say, you know what? I, I'm not okay. I'm going to be okay, but I'm not okay right now. And I need someone to just be there for me and, and tell me it's not okay um, and support me. And so admitting that that we need some help too and leaning on those strong people in our life was a huge takeaway for me as well. But like I said, I'll, I'll be unpacking this experience for I think years to come. And then obviously you had to face an incredibly hard challenge of creating a virtual national convention. So I haven't talked to any of the national officers uh, since that, but I've always been wondering how that process was like creating a completely virtual national convention. It was intense. Um, so, you know, typically national convention planning begins in August. So it's a month long to begin with. Um, but this year we kind of had to, <laughs> we had to start from scratch in a lot of ways. Um so our conversations began in August around what we wanted national convention to look like. And our team's involvement was really on the, the session. Um, I don't know the the theming and the, the interactions between us. Um, a lot of the fun creative stuff was left up to our team. Um, as well as, you know, our RAs obviously was all on us and some other things, but as a whole, um, the convention planning process began in, in August. And at that point, we thought convention was going to take place. We didn't know where, um, in some warehouse somewhere. At one point, we were told it was going to be in the FFA Center in Indianapolis, in the, like, in the warehouse of the FFA Center. And we're like, okay, we can do this. Like, it'll be okay. We won't get out of Indy anytime soon, but let's do it. And they sat our team down and... Um, the man that was the executive producer of our convention, he's been doing it for 20 years, was there from Ohio. And he was like, yeah, so I think I think it's the warehouse at the center. We're like, okay. And then he was like, but yesterday I was on a plane in Texas. And we're like, wait, a, how were you in Texas yesterday? Like, we've been here. Um, long story short, uh, Patrick, who owns RFD TV and the Cowboy Channel, had flown staff from FFA down to Texas and Fort Worth. I'm um, insisting that they see this, this television studio that they just made. Um, and they saw it and they were floored by this studio, but they said, you know, Patrick, we can't afford this. FFA has had tremendous budget cuts this year. We're not going to make a lot on national convention because we're not going to, you know, fees and people coming into the city. So we, we can't, we appreciate you bringing us down here. And Patrick looked at them and he said, no, I I'm covering it all. Like I will, I will pay for you to come here. Um, and so we learned as a team that we were going to be in Fort Worth strictly because of the generosity of someone that, that believed in FFA enough to, to make that opportunity possible. So we went from the warehouse <laughs> to the stockyards um, inside of a couple minutes and we were reduced to tears. Like I still get emotional thinking about it um, because of the year that, that FFA had as an organization. Um, we needed to end on a high note. And I think that's exactly what happened with, with our national convention. So we flew down to Fort Worth um, around the 6th of October and were there recording and practicing all the way up through the actual event, um, which in my mind was just a really, really cool celebration of FFA and its members and the resiliency that we all had this year. So it was honestly just 
a dream come true and something that I will never forget. Yeah, it was amazing. So, um, and, and finally, or, or to kind of wrap things up a little bit, I, I do want to ask you one question and, and that's what's your why. And, and this kind of question I've, I've asked a few times and, and I continue to ask all of my guests that I have on this podcast. And it simply means why do you do what you do? Why have you, you know, served as a national officer? Why do you continue to serve and continue to be that kind of role model so, for, for so many? So, so, you know, what is your why? I love that question. Um, you know, I kind of touched on it earlier, but my why is doing small things with great love on repeat. Um, I learned that for the very first time when I received that, that happy gram at FFA camp about the power of that small thing that was done with great love. Um, and that support that I received and, you know, what I have realized now is that for me, my faith is a huge driver in my life. It's a lot of the reason I make the decisions I do and, and the person that I am. Um, and that has led me to discover that that the things that we do um, don't have to be grand in action. You know, they, they're daily ways to support people and to love people and to show up for people. Um, and so my why continues to be that, to just do those small things. I um, and make sure what I'm doing is out of a place of love. And, and I want to do that in a, in a steady manner. Like I, there were people in my life that I could count on this year to be there for me through the messiness of life. You know, it's really easy to be there when people do something well and are celebrating, but I tell you what, this past year, you find out who those people that are really in your corner are, you know, the people that are going to call you when you're crying on the other end of the phone or, you know, something hasn't gone well. And I want to be one of those people for life. So, um, small things with great love on repeat is kind of, kind of the way I live my life and will continue even though national office is done. And, um, you know, I think it's just, it's the close of that chapter that was a decade for me that I am so blessed to have had, but it's the, the start of a lifetime of continuing to give back and to serve those around me. Yeah, that is an amazing message, and I've certainly benefited just from talking here for like 20 minutes. You're, you're an amazing person to talk to. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you're amazing too, Jack. I mean, what you are doing is is phenomenal. So keep it up. But thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this. Thank Hey, we're all rooting for you in, in your future, Tess, whatever you <laughs> decide to do. Um, but anyways, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode. Um, Tess Seibel is an amazing person. You should check her out on Instagram and uh, continue to listen to us in the future. Thanks for listening.